Good evening, everybody. It's good to be back to open up the Word with you again tonight. Uh, but before we do so, let's just say a word of prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to be with us tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank You for this day, Your day, the Lord's day, that we can come as a body of believers and worship Your holy name, the only name worthy of praise and all praise. And we ask, Lord, that uh, the words we read tonight and hear tonight, that uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, You apply into our hearts. By that same power, we live it out each day, the applications of Your Word. And Lord, by, again, the power of Your Holy Spirit, Lord, we grant us understanding Those who may not yet call on Your name or know You, Lord, grant by that power that You change their hearts, transform their hearts to call on Your name as Lord and Savior, to look to You for their salvation, You alone. We pray this in Your name. Amen. So we are in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, the final book of the Old Testament. Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This is the Word of God. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. It's the Word of God. Now, from the very moment, way back in Genesis, when God spoke the words to Adam and Eve that there would be one who would come who would crush the head of the serpent, The coming Messiah has been hoped on. He's been longed for. He's been prophesied about. Micah 5, chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 2, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. 2 Samuel 7, 12, the Messiah will come from the line of David. Isaiah 53, 5, the Messiah will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and we'll be healed by His wounds. So here in Malachi is another well-known prophecy about the messenger of the Lord. And this prophecy comes at a time when the Israelites were losing hope in their Lord. They were losing faith in God. They had returned home from exile and were awaiting the glorious restoration that the prophets who had come before had spoken of. Disappointed by how reality of their return didn't match their expectations, they became faithless. The people profaned God's covenant by marrying daughters of a foreign god. The priests profaned God's worship by offering polluted sacrifices. They questioned God's love for them, and they questioned God's justice. And in chapter 2, verse 17, right before chapter 3, 
Um, it's here that God says that he has been wearied by the Israelites questioning his justice. The Israelites who were saying, everyone who does evil is good, is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. And by asking, where is the God of justice? So here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, God answers this question. His answer is that he will send the messenger of the covenant. He will send the messenger who comes with the message of the Lord's coming, the message of the Lord's refinement, the message of the Lord's judgment. So first let's look at the message of the Lord's coming. Look back at verse 1, verses 2a. There it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Now there are two messengers spoken of in this passage. The first messenger prepares the way for the Lord. The second is the messenger of the covenant, or Jesus Jesus Christ. The prophecy of the first messenger is fulfilled in John the Baptist, as we heard this morning, in his message of repentance. He was preparing the way for the second messenger, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Israelites are told that this messenger is the Lord whom you seek, and that He will suddenly come to His temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, He is coming. As it says in verse 1. And we know, we have this prophecy, we know that Christ did indeed come into His temple. We read in the Old Testament how the glory cloud of God filled the tabernacle, showing that God was with the people. When the Israelites came back from exile, they rebuilt the temple. Yet it paled in comparison to the splendor of the temple built in the time of Solomon, yet they still waited for God's glory to fill the temple as it had before. But this prophecy, it doesn't point to God coming to fill the temple of the Israelites. It points to so much more. When the time had come, Christ came in flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us as we read in John chapter 1. He didn't come down in a manifestation. He came down in the flesh. He became man yet fully God, and lived among us. He died on the cross, was resurrected, and sent the Holy Spirit so that He may come to His temple, which is no longer a building with rooms that only Jewish priests may enter, but His temple is the hearts of Jew and Gentile alike in which the Holy Spirit dwells, uniting us to Christ. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Isn't that a huge, unexpected blessing and mercy that God would even do this? Matthew Henry in his commentary says that though he is the prince of the covenant, yet he condescended to be the messenger of it that we might have full assurance of God's goodwill towards man upon His Word. This messenger, this Messiah, He didn't come to simply tell of the good news. He brought the good news. In fact, Jesus is the good news. 
He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, coming in the ultimate humiliation to die on the cross, to face the full wrath of God, so that you may be saved from your sins. And in Him, you may become the righteousness of God. As we read from Matthew Henry, he said that Christ condescended to come and be the messenger, which gives us full assurance of His goodwill towards us. So how can you doubt His love for you? See, He sent His Son. And how can you doubt His goodness? Because He sent His Son. How can you doubt His mercy? He sent His Son. How can you doubt His justice? He sent His Son. Now there are a couple of things about this uh, first prophecy of Christ's coming that I'd like to highlight before moving on to the next part. And the first is the manner in which the messenger comes. Notice in verse 1 it says, The Lord will suddenly come into His temple. So the coming of the Messiah points not only to the incarnation of Christ, but it points to His return as well. And when He comes, it will be sudden. It will be unseen like a thief in the night. The Israelites, they had become lax in their faith and in their worship because so much time had passed. The promises of God they were respecting had not yet occurred. So much time has passed since Christ died and was resurrected, and yet He still hasn't come again. Sometimes so much time passes between when you ask and plead God for something and when He answers. So don't make the same mistake that the Israelites made. Don't think that because so much time has passed that God is distant or unconcerned. Don't mistakenly think that God no longer cares or isn't sovereign over every part of His creation. Don't mistakenly think that because life is hard or that trials come into your life that God is apathetic or just not a loving God. During these difficult times, do you sometimes wonder where God is? Do you wonder where His justice is as the Israelites in this passage did? Do you wonder where His provision is? Where His comfort is? And God's Word that He has given to us answers this by saying that our God, who we worship, is a God of all comfort. Our God is a God who works out all things for the good of those who love Him. Our God is a God who will bring justice. A God who ensures you will never lack any good thing. A God who is always with you. And a God who made these promises is a God who will never change His mind or His word because He never changes. I also want you to notice that there are two sides to this prophecy. Now the Israelites are crying out to God um, for Him to come asking, where is your justice? Where is the God of justice? However, some of these people who don't truly fear God yet call for Him to come, they don't realize what they're saying. They don't realize the terrors of the wrath of God upon sinners that will come with Him. The justice they cry out for will not only come against those who are oppressing them, it will also come against those who do not fear Him. As it says in um, verse 2a, who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? The book of Amos chapter 5, verse 18 warns of this as well. And there it says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? 
It is darkness and not light. And do you ever think about this? Do you ever think about the day of the Lord when He comes again or you meet Him in heaven and He begins to mark your sins? Who can stand that? Who can endure it? Well, I'll tell you who can endure it. You, Christian, child of the covenant, whose sins have been blotted out and stricken from the record, can stand. You can say that in Christ Jesus, because of His atoning work on the cross, I have been made pure in Him. You can stand and say this before God because Christ stood and took your place on that cross. Each week on Sunday, we call out the end of service for Christ to come quickly. I hear it every week. People say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, pleading for that to happen because we long for that day to see Him face to face. It's a different story for those outside of Christ. But Christ came so that you would not be outside of Christ, but instead that you would call on His name and in Christ meet God as a loving Father, not an angry judge. To move to the second part of uh, the message of the messenger of the covenant, which is that of refinement and reconciliation. Excuse me, look at verses uh, 2 through 4, the second part of 2 through verse 4. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. The Lord will come and remove the impurities from you as a refiner's fire purifies gold or silver. He will wash you clean as the fuller soap cleans out stains. Fuller is another name for like a launderer. And so as soap cleans stains out of clothes, so He will clean the stains from you. Now the image of our sanctification as a refiner's fire, it's a common one in the Bible, and one I'm sure you have heard many times. This burning fire that takes out the impurities in metal is likened to the painful trials and circumstances in our own lives which take out the impurities of our hearts and allow us to more and more die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And this verse, it singles out the sons of Levi, who were the priests of the Israelites. And of all the people, they should be the ones to follow God's commands and train and teach the people to do so as well. But the priests had polluted the offerings and the people had profaned the covenant. And when I read this section, after having read chapter 1 of this same book, which talks about how the priests polluted the offerings to the Lord, the love and the mercy of God is striking. And in chapter 1, it talks about the priests who were those set apart to instruct the people and turn them from their sin had used that very power of instruction to cause many to stumble. It talks about how they held sacrifices to God in little regard as they sacrificed blind, lame, and sick animals to God while keeping the best ones for themselves. Yet here, in chapter 3, is Malachi prophesying that the Lord will come and cleanse you of these impurities and you will once again bring offerings in righteousness that are pleasing to the Lord. 
See, this refiner's fire, it is not an all-consuming fire. As it says down in verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. This fire is a cleansing fire. This fire is a sanctifying fire. This fire is not designed to destroy, but to bring people back to righteousness. And the same is true for you as followers of Christ. And God doesn't throw you to the fire to be destroyed, nor ever will He. God sends the fire to bring you back to Himself. And is that not a great mercy? Is that not a great blessing? Though painful, it's from a loving God who does not turn His back on you, nor ever will. He does not give up on you, nor ever change. He never will change His mind about you. Do you think He's surprised by your sins? Enough to change his mind? Do you think he would save a sinner and then change his mind and cast him into the fire because they sinned? See, he brought you to himself. And if you're a true follower of Christ, there's nothing you can do that would make God change his mind about you. The final point about this section mirrors the previous section in that there are two sides to this prophecy as well. We can see this as a great show of God's mercy, His faithfulness, how He always is with you and never turns His back against you. But it's also a show of God's judgment. As we have said, the believer is likened to the gold and silver whose dross is burned away by the refiner's fire until they come out pure. The unbeliever is likened to the dross that is fully consumed by the fire. This was a judgment of God spoken about in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 18 to 22, which says, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are the copper, tin, iron, and lead left inside a furnace. They are but the dross of silver. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because you have all become dross, I will gather you into Jerusalem. As men gather silver, copper, iron, lead, and tin into a furnace to melt it with a fiery blast, so will I gather you in my anger and my wrath and put you inside the city and melt you. I will gather you and I will blow you on, I'll blow on you with my fiery wrath and you will be melted inside her. As silver is melted in a furnace, so you will be melted inside her and you will know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath upon you. As in the first prophecy we discussed of Christ's coming, what a blessing it is for those in Christ, for the believer. And what a terrible curse for the unbeliever. This takes us to the third message of the messenger of the covenant, of the Messiah. And that's one of judgment. Now you're probably thinking, well, what are you talking about? All those messages are of judgment. And yeah, we've seen judgment in other messages, but this is a blatant telling of what is in store for the sorcerers, for the adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress the hired worker, who oppress the widow and the fatherless, those who thrust aside the sojourner, and those who don't fear God. Now this section that we read started out by the Israelites asking God, where is your justice And this section is God answering, here is my justice. You think I favor those who are evil? I will show you what I do to those who are evil. My judgment will be swift upon them and it will be a terrible thing. Notice 
the prophet Malachi um, lists these sins in this verse, and it culminates in the final group of those who do not fear me. And in fact, all those who commit the aforementioned sins can be clumped into that category of those who do not fear God. The priests who polluted the sacrifices did so because they no longer feared God. They were no longer in awe and wonder at who God is and what He has done. They were no longer praising God out of a thankfulness for His mercy and providence, but rather just going through the motions of their duties. As Christians, all of us ultimately fear God. We would not be Christians if we didn't. However, day to day, it's easy to live as if we didn't. It's easy to slip into this complacency that we read about in the, uh, that the priests of Malachi did, of the Israelites in Malachi. It's easy to put the fear of man over this fear of God. It's easy to succumb to temptations and sin. This is why it's important each day to reflect on God and why it is that we fear Him. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 130, verse 3, which is reflected in our passage today in verse 2, If you, O Lord, should mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So we must ask ourselves, do I fear God more today than yesterday? Am I more in awe over God's forgiveness of me and mercy on me than I was yesterday? Reflect on this in the fear of God, this growing fear, this growing love, this growing awe and worship of God will override any fear of man. It will squash any complacency and replace it with a zeal for His Word. It will equip you to withstand temptation and turn from sin because God will become more precious to you than any fleeting pleasure or affirmation of man. This entire book of Malachi is one of judgment against Israel. And I've tried to show you, and I hope that I have shown you, that as terrible as His judgment is, there's an even greater mercy that God shows to His people. And if there are any here who do not yet know Christ or follow Him, maybe you're thinking, this is no God of justice. Where is the justice in condemning people to hell because they believe something else or don't follow His rules exactly? Let me say that when the day comes, when this day of the Lord comes, You're standing in front of God as He recounts your sin. Nobody will be able to say, I don't deserve this judgment of being guilty before you. So my purpose in pointing out the realities of God's judgment is not to scare you to belief or to say that you should just become a Christian to avoid hell. My purpose is to magnify the love of our Savior who condescended to be the messenger so that you might believe in Him and be saved from this future judgment. My purpose is to tell you that when the day comes and you're standing in front of God as He recounts your sins, that you don't stand condemned knowing that His judgment is deserved, but rather that you then hear Him say that your sins have been paid for by Christ and you have been found righteous. Christ came with this message for you. May the Holy Spirit apply it to the heart of the unbelievers so that they call it on the name of the Lord, so that they call on the name of the Lord and are saved. And may it affect the heart of the believer so that God alone receives all the praise, honor, and glory due His name. Amen.